0: So, I don't know. may not be true for you. It was true for me. When I first became a Christian, when I first started going to church, somehow it all felt vaguely impersonal, particularly at Easter. It just felt, I don't know, disconnected. And one of the things that has struck us at Warehouse is that Christianity is intensely personal. It's about individual stories, your story, my story, connecting with the God of the universe in meaningful and significant ways, right there in the nitty-gritty of life. And so today, as a part of our service, you're going to hear some people's stories, and you're going to see three people baptized. One person was baptized in the first service. Three will be baptized in this service. And this moment of them baptizing is a moment of their life intersecting with God in a profound way. Easter, historically, way back in in, um, the earliest years of the church, was an occasion where people were baptized. Because what it signified was on that day where we marked the resurrection of Christ, people marked that moment when they chose to be all in with Jesus and follow him. And so today you're going to hear two stories on video. We had four, but because of lack of time, we can't show you all four very powerful stories. In the next couple of weeks, you're going to see the other videos. But today you're going to see two stories. As you watch their stories, as you hear their words, as we go through the message today, there may come a moment where you say, it's time for me to be all in as well. If that happens during the service, there's this card. Check it. Put some information on it if you want to talk to us more about it. When the basket comes around, you just drop it in. The story you're about to hear is the story of the young man we baptized in the first, sor- uh, first service. This is Brian Hargett's story.
1: age to believe in God, Um, although we weren't um, weren't focused in a church, or um, we did have faith. My grandmother was a devout Christian. You know, like I said, it wasn't ever really thrown at us, it wasn't pushed in our faces or anything. We we had a choice, and um, while I always prayed to a God, it wasn't really anything that uh, was full-time in my life. My grandmother uh, passed away in 2003, and um, at that point in my life, uh, I started questioning my faith. I started going to Warehouse. Um, It was funny, because the first service, there was a card at Warehouse, and it said, I'm all in, and talked about baptism. Now, I'd always been curious, because I'd never been baptized before, so I... You know, I looked at the card, and I checked on there that I was interested in baptism and community because I love having the ability to help people. From even uh, when when I, would leave, when I left service the first day at warehouse, I got in my car, and um, I really felt the Lord speak to me. It was incredible. I felt like He embraced me and told me that this was right. I was at the right place. I was doing the right thing. In that moment, I knew that there was there was great change happening in my life, you know, learning more about the mission in the church, and um, when I connected with Mark, um, we had discussed baptism, and then um, I had talked to some of my friends that are Christians um, in regards to baptism, and knew that that was the, the next step in committing my life to the Lord, and and letting him help command me and, and move me forward in life. So I think I think that God, when when God looks at me and considers me, He sees a uh, or He's created a, a strong individual, someone that's um, loving and compassionate and caring someone that has the ability to persevere and have belief in things. I feel through the last year, he's created a really strong individual, someone that um, that I never knew I was, and I didn't see him myself. But I think that when I get baptized, that um, I think my grandmother will probably be there um, with God and, and the Holy Spirit sharing the happiness with me. When your faith builds, you realize the work that He's doing in your life, and He's definitely, He's definitely at work on me, and I'm very grateful because um, I'm becoming a better person, a better man, and a better Christian because He's prepared me for that.
0: I say that's Brian's story. That's only partially true. It's the story so far. Truth is, our stories are not yet written. They're in process. We're somewhere mid-verse, mid-sentence, mid-chapter, and quite honestly, we don't know where it's going to go from here. All we know is what's happened so far and where we are today. We are quite clearly in the middle of our stories. Now, that can be terribly exciting. Don't know what's going to happen next. Could be awesome. The future is open before you. It can also be somewhat terrifying because the future is open. We don't know what's going to happen. Today, we look at a story of someone whose life had been up and down, topsy turvy, and was at a a critical point, a point when the story appeared to have lost its momentum and perhaps gone horribly sideways. And it's the story of a woman we know as. Mary Magdalene and Mary Magdalene sort of as an aside she's had all sorts of stories told about her through history some of which just aren't true if I asked you who Mary Magdalene was some of you would respond well she was a prostitute we don't think she actually was which is sort of a bad thing to be passed down around you throughout generations when it's not even true however somehow she got associated with somebody else anyway she wasn't a prostitute We don't think. But she was a woman who had an encounter with Jesus that was unbelievably profound, and then something happened along the way, and it seemed to get shattered. Here's her backstory. Mary was known. It's only a couple of times she's actually mentioned in the the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus, and she's mentioned like this. And then there was Mary who had seven demons cast out of her. It does that every time. It's as really matter of fact, there was Mary, as if you were saying, who went to the coffee shop? There was Mary who had seven demons cast out of her. It seems like a big deal. And my guess is, if you lived in that time and you were categorized as somebody having seven, seven demons cast out of you, that likely your nickname was Crazy Mary. As in, what in the world will she do next? Likely a staggering reputation, very little social status, and of course, even worse, she was a woman. Now, I realize I'm only reciting historical realities. 2,000 years ago, to be a woman in that society was not a good thing, and to be a crazy woman was even worse, because she would have been very much on the edges, the very fringes, the margins of society. She would used to being ignored, or even worse, shoved aside. And then one day, she meets this guy, Jesus. And he, is he seemed to have this habit of doing, the person shrinking back in the corner, oh, I don't know, seven demons, maybe she was screaming, I really don't know. But he noticed her, and he walked up, and he does what he always does. Puts his hand on her, and he says, it's okay, you're free now. And it was gone. In a moment, she was changed, her life was altered, And so she attached herself to Jesus. She became one of the followers. She's one who's most mentioned in all sorts of scenes. She's the only one who's mentioned as being with Jesus at his, his crucifixion and his, his uh, death and his burial and his resurrection, all, all those. She becomes a prominent figure. She is the first one to see Jesus after he rises from the dead. It's an unlikely, unlikely incident in a culture where women's testimony was viewed as Non binding, insignificant, Jesus chooses her to be the first one to tell the story that he's risen from the dead. So, remarkable woman who ran into Jesus, he changed her life because what he convinced her, he somehow convinced her, I don't care about your social status. Your reputation is irrelevant. I see you. I love you and you matter. And so, she was all in. And she followed him to the bitter end. Because you see, the bitter end was when he was killed. On the Friday night, Jesus was put on a cross, and it says then Mary was at the foot of the cross. And she was not, as we can tell on the account, I'm going to read you in a minute, she was not hopeful. She was not thinking, it's always darkest before the dawn. She was not thinking, surely God's going to bring something good out of this. She was devastated and heartbroken. Because you see, her story turned on him. He was the figure. He was the one who made everything different. And then he died. And she heard him on the cross scream out, God, where are you? And at that moment, it went for her pitch black. You ever had that happen where you thought something was in your grasp, you thought you had it, it was what you wanted, and then it was gone? That's Mary. She thought she had it. She thought life finally had stability. He died, and she's crazy Mary again. So, in her grief, a couple of days later, she goes to the tomb. And seriously, she's wandering. She has some stuff to anoint him, and she's walking to a, a tomb, and the tomb she has a stone over it. She's not going to be able to move it. And he's already wrapped up, so she can't do anything with it. It's, it's one of those things, you know, where you see people in grief, and they're just wandering around. I'm going to go anoint the body. So she's walking there, and she gets there. And, hey, good news, the, the stone's rolled away. I forgot all about that. That'll be good. I'll walk in. She walks in. He's not there. She does not go. This is important. She does not go. Oh, he's risen from the dead. She goes, seriously, how low can you get? First of all, they kill him. Then they take, where ta- do they take his body? So she goes back, and she tells the other disciples, and she said, I went there. Somebody took, somebody took Jesus. They've, I don't know what they've done with him. They go back, and the, the account, you should read this later. John and Peter run back. You see, John wrote the Gospel of John. That's why it's called the Gospel of John. And so John's writing this account, and he, and he says, John writes this, Peter and the disciples who was with him, that's me, ran, but the other disciple ran faster. I'm serious. I was like, really, did you have to put that in there, John? Hey, Peter, I'm just saying the facts. You're a little bit slow. I ran <laughs> past you. I got there first. Just telling the story. Anyway, Peter and John ran there, but John ran faster. And they got there, and they looked in there, and they saw the linen, you know, the wrappings sitting there. And, and then it it's really curious, and they says, and then they believed, and then the next line says, but they had no idea. That's a paraphrase. But essentially, they had no idea what happened. So they go back to the other disciples, And that's where we pick up the story. I'm going to read in the Gospel of John. It's one of the four accounts of the Gospels. It's written by the fastest of the apostles. (laughs) And this is what he says. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look in the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? My favorite line in the whole passage, thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, just tell me where you put him and I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold me for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So she's sitting there crying and Jesus appears and she doesn't recognize him. And I'm thinking, how does she not recognize him? And part of it was, I think it was unexpected, you know, him being dead and all. You don't really expect him to be standing there talking to you. But I also think, isn't it curious how underplayed Jesus made that? Seriously, he just rose from the dead. This is a big deal. And when he stands there before Mary, he doesn't say, I am risen. Isn't this awesome? Look what happened. I mean, where's his publicist? He should have been out there proclaiming this from the rooftops. I just rose from the dead. Never happened before. This is a big deal. He speaks to her and he says, What are you looking for? This was his pattern, by the way. After he rose from the dead, he just would show up before individuals. Two guys are walking on a road. Jesus sort of ambles alongside them. Can I walk with you? And he talks with them. Personal conversation. He bops in one day to a room. And some of the disciples are gathered. One of them was named Thomas, who they, we call Doubting Thomas. Again, there's a long legacy you really don't want. But he's called Doubting Thomas. And he go, Jesus brings over and says, Thomas, come here. Put your hands here. Feel the wounds. See? It's real. When he appears to Mary, he just speaks her name. So she doesn't know who he is. A couple of angels are there. That's really interesting. That didn't, that didn't catch her off guard, apparently. Two angels are there. And they talk to her and they say, why are you crying? And then Jesus asks again, why are you crying? Why are you crying? Here's a moment. It's not just that he's dead. It's not that he was a good friend. It's that the hope that she had was gone. Not disintegrate a little bit, shattered. Someone had told her she mattered. Someone had told her her past didn't count. Somebody had told her he would always be with her, and he's dead. She thought that maybe, maybe it was true that God saw her and loved her, but he's gone. Why are you weeping? Because for her, hope died in that cross. And then Jesus looks at her, And he says simply this, Mary. When he speaks her name, she knows who it is. When she hears that voice calling out her name, she knows it's him. And she turns and says, Teacher. And now she rushes back to the others to say, It's him. It's true. It's real. He's risen from the dead. See, it's not about the resurrection. Cool parlor trick if you can do it. But it's not about the resurrection. It's about the reality that there is someone who knew her name, who knew her intimately, and now he would never be apart from her. It's about the reality that God will always walk with her. And now she knows that the dream, that the hope is alive and will never die. She has a constant. In a story that goes up and down and sometimes sideways, she has a constant she has a God who knows her and will walk with her every moment of every day. Well, God knows your name too. There's something in the Bible about names. You know, there's even a passage in the end, it's the last book of the Bible called Revelation, where it says that Jesus will look at us and he'll give us a name that no one else knows. What does that mean? It means that he will see into us and he names us who we really are. Maybe the toughest task in life is to figure out who we are. He knows. He sees us. He calls to us. This is the story of Christianity. Not of big historical events, but of intimate personal encounters with a God, with you and I. He calls our name, and he calls us to himself. And the moment we receive him, we have a constant. If you ever had to do math problems in high school, you remember how frustrating that was when they gave you word problems and you always looked for the constant. You had to have a constant, right? Because if you got variables and you only have variables and all you have is chaos because you can't figure it out without a constant. That's really what life is without something that anchors it. It's a series of variables none of which can really be figured out because they're all shifting. The hope of Easter is a constant. Death will not get in the way. Hope will not be broken. There will be moments when it appears like it appears like our story has gone tragically sideways. There is a constant. Every one of us deep down wants to be known. We want somebody to see us. We want somebody to recognize us. We want somebody to get past all the reputation and social status. and We want somebody to look past all that. We want somebody to know us, to see us truly. And as they gaze upon us, to love us. It's rare when we find that. Sometimes we do, don't we? You find somebody who will walk alongside you and love you. It's a strength of life that's pretty powerful. And the source of that comes from a God who knows you. This is what I want you to know today. It's not about Brian's story or the story we're about to see in a few minutes, Melissa Lampkin's story. or It's not about my story. It's about your story being written right now. Your story is on the fly. It's dynamic. It's changing this very moment. And what God wants you to be struck with today is that he sees you and he longs to be the constant in your life. That love that will never waver. That will give you strength. That will give you hope. So you smile at the future because you know. You know because he will always be there. There will be joy. There will be beauty. And that is his promise to you. So today as we come to Easter and as we're about to watch one more story, this is what I'd have you know. If you have skidded around the edges of the church for the last whatever, I mean we are in the southeast, and you've wandered in and out of churches, and you've wondered what in the world is it about anyway, and can I measure up, and am I good enough? Just push all that aside and realize the heart of Easter is that the Son of God came to earth for you. When he's on the cross, you know, I I said at one point on his cross, he, he yells out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you have to wonder what's going through his mind that's that bad. I mean, he'd suffered a lot of stuff. It's in that moment that the rest of the story of Scripture tells us in that moment he bore your and my pain. Those really tough moments. Our shame, our humiliation, our failure, our flaws. He bore it all. He bore all of that pain upon himself, seeking just as he walked up to Mary one day and touched her and said, be free to take all that away for us, to push it aside and to make us new again. If you've wandered around the edges of the church, I would have you know that today Jesus calls your name, not just mine, not someone else's, yours. And he calls you to himself with the only desire to make you free and to make you whole again. If you're someone who has known Jesus and he has known you for years, I would have you know this. Yes, you're in the midst of the story. You have no idea what's going to happen in the next five minutes, the next hour, the next week. He is your constant. He is the abiding presence, source of strength, and the promise that there will be beauty in your days. That's Frank. Lord, I pray in the rest of this time, you would call our name. You would speak to us. We would know with the certainty that you are, you are aware of us. Always by our side. Always moving our story forward. Always creating beauty, even out of chaos. We look to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we baptize three people, I'm going to show you one more story. And again, we had four very powerful stories and for lack of time, we can't show four videos. The next couple of weeks, you'll see the other uh, two stories. We're going to try to give them a, a good slot where you can focus on those stories. And today we're going to see one more story before we baptize and it's the story of Melissa Lampkin.
2: Now for about two years, on and off, since my friends um, Rachel and Steve were married here, I was raised in a church by my parents. My dad went to Bible school, worked for in the ministry for a few years, and um, I always went to the church that they wanted me to go to, and um, I didn't love it. I was, I felt, I guess looking back, I felt pretty disconnected from it, but I did it because that's what I was supposed to do. Um, I've definitely had my moments where my relationship with God is not even a part of my life, really, where I've kind of ignored Him. Sounds awful to say that, actually, come Um, but where I've definitely had my moments where there wasn't a walk at all as I've gotten older and... Um, Not that my life is difficult by any means, I'm sure, compared to a lot of people. But in my mind, (laughs) small mountains, if you will, um, just I've had to um, I've had to seek God because I can't I can't do them on my own. I can't. There are just things that I can't. I don't trust myself to make the right decisions, and I mean. It's, a, it's not necessarily a judgment for his own, but he's the one person that... He knows it all anyways, but at least whenever I talk about it, or pray about it, or bring it up, I will feel ridiculous. <laughs> um... So, it's just... Life is not easy, and... Um, I want, I want God to be in control. I want, I want Jesus to be there. I've never even really had a desire to be baptized, even though I know that it's an important thing to do. And I remember when I mentioned to my mom a few weeks ago that um, I was thinking about being baptized on Easter. She even said, sure you've been baptized before, um, you know, as a child, and I mean, maybe if I was, then that's obviously how important it was to me, because I don't remember it, and um, it's just, I've always felt like it, it really meant that I was committed, and I've always kind of been afraid to fully commit, because I'm not perfect, and I, if I don't keep that commitment, then I don't know, you know, I don't know how that would affect me, I guess. Um, and so I just kind of thought it wasn't for me. And, um, the first time that Bruce mentioned, um, baptisms on Easter Sunday, it, who, I mean, immediately it's like, I felt like I was saying it's time. And... I may have thought about it for two days and I knew for a fact that I was going to, um, that, you know, that I wanted to and I, w- I wanted it to be a warehouse. Like this is this is where I wanted it to be. And, um, it's, so I don't know, I just, it's time. And I'm learning that it's it is such a commitment, but I'm also human and I'm you know, I may make mistakes and thank God for God's grace. Um but I mean, you know, I don't know until you try, I <laughs> guess. How I explain it to myself is my dad and I, for instance, um we aren't super close, we've gotten a lot closer in the last year or so, but um growing up we weren't you know, he's my dad and we did things together because he was my dad, but he's not like you know, I have a friend who talks to her dad every single day. But never once in my entire life have I ever for one second questioned whether or not my dad has loved me with his entire heart. And I'm, I kind of think about that with the way that I view Jesus and that I have never once questioned that, but at the same time, I've never really fully accepted it either. He he just wants to be enough. Like he he loves me, and um, I don't have to I don't have to do anything for it. I don't have to. I just have to be me.
0: Baptism, for us, is a marking moment. It's a moment where we demonstrate an abstract reality. Abstract reality is that there is a God who loves us, who never ceases to love us as we receive him, who pours his love out on us in a way that will never stop. And so God likes to give us concrete ways of demonstrating that. Baptism is one. And so when these young ladies come up to be baptized, I will pour a stunning amount of water on their heads. And that water, the volume of it is meant to communicate that water, symbolic of God's presence, will never stop being poured out upon them. Every day, they will live in the presence of a God who knows them and chooses to walk with them. And today, as they come forward, they do so of their own free will, saying, I'm all in. He gave his life for me. He knows me and loves me. I'm all in. And so Jen and Melissa and Amber, why don't you come on up? This is Melissa Lampkin and Amber Wagner and Jen McGee. Where? there you are. Hey Amber. We appreciate you all being up here today. I know it's unusual to be up on stage, but it's uh, it's 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 a. Uh, great for us that you all are willing to show your commitment to Christ and allow us to be a part of that. And so I'm going to ask you one question, and then I'm going to ask the community one question. The three of you, do you come here today believing that Jesus Christ knows you, that he loves you, and that your simple desire is to live in his presence and live in the forgiveness he's given you from this day forward, do you? You, the community at Warehouse 242, As you look upon Amber and Melissa and Jen, will you agree to walk with them, to support them, to encourage them in the up times, the bad times, and the medium times, to seek to be there for them so that through you, they may see the reality of Jesus, will you? All right. (laughs) Melissa, why don't you come here? And you kneel down in there. And Amber, why don't you go there? And Jen, we're going to move this forward, and you're going to go right there. Melissa Lampkin, because God sees you through and through, and he could not love you more because Jesus came for you, died and rose for you, because you choose now simply to walk with him. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Wagner, because Jesus loves you, he fought for you, he rose from the dead to free you forever, because you've chosen simply to walk with him, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. and be because you are God's chosen. You're his daughter, who he set his affection upon, because Jesus died for you and rose for you, and you receive that and want to live your life for him. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now we want to pray for Melissa and Jen and Amber, and so if the elders and anybody else who would like to wants to come on up, we will uh, we'll pray. <laughs> and this is their small group, which is sort of like a large group. Let's pray. Melissa, Amber, Jen, your God loves you. Our Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we turn to you now and we're thankful for these three. We're thankful for what you've done, how you have chosen, not impersonally, but very practically and personally intersected your life with theirs. How you in space and time have woken them to you, how you spoke to them and declared to them that it is time and that now they may live in the fullness of your love because there is beauty ahead, because you've made them for yourself, and because this day they are all in with you. I thank you for the power of your love. I thank you for them. And I pray that you will show them and move them forward in this story and make it more beautiful by the day. May they see you. May they know you. May they walk with you in strength. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So often what we hear when somebody gets baptized is the phrase, it's time. Somebody long senses that God is in fact calling to them. For some of you, again, you may have heard that exact thing today. It's time. If it's time for you to move forward and to step into that and to make that decision to walk with Jesus throughout your life, I encourage you to pick up one of those blue cards in the chair by you, put your information down there, and we'll get in contact with you. At this point in our service, we move into our time of response. We have um, listened, heard the story of the resurrection, and now it's our time to respond. We do so always this time. We begin it with our offering. It's a way for us to articulate our belief that God pursues us. He wades deeply into our lives, and out of that, we respond back.